Lesson 8 for November 18 through to 24, ready for teaching on Saturday the 25th. Who is the man of Romans chapter 7? Sabbath afternoon, November 18. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're about halfway through our studies in the book of Romans, and we're enjoying what Paul has written there, but also it's very concerning for us that we understand what these things mean. And as we open your word to chapter 7 this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us. We pray that our understanding of you and your word will increase just through these few days of study together. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Romans chapter 7 and verse 6. Now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. Let's read that again, Romans chapter 7 and verse 6. Now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. Few chapters in the Bible have created more controversy than has Romans chapter 7. Concerning the issues involved, the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary reads, The meaning of Romans 7 verses 14 to 25 has been one of the most discussed problems in the whole epistle. The main questions have been as to whether the description of such intense moral struggle could be autobiographical graphical, or, if so, whether the passage refers to Paul's experience before or after his conversion. That Paul is speaking of his own personal struggle with sin seems apparent from the simplest meaning of his words. It is surely also true that he is describing a conflict that is more or less experienced by every soul, confronted by and awakened to the spiritual claims of God's holy law. End of quote. Bible students differ at whether Romans chapter 7 was Paul's experience before or after his conversion. Whatever position one takes, what's important is that Jesus' righteousness covers us and that in His righteousness we stand perfect before God, who promises to sanctify us, to give us victory over sin, and to conform us, as it says in Romans 8.29, to the image of His Son. These are the crucial points for us to know and experience as we seek to spread the everlasting gospel to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, as it says in Revelation 14 and verse 6. Sunday, November 19, Dead to the Law. Question. Read Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through to 6. What illustration does Paul use here in order to show his readers their relationship to the law? And what point is he making with that illustration? Romans 7, beginning at verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? 
For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives she marries another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For, when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, and not in the oldness of the latter. Paul's illustrations in Romans 7, 1-6 is somewhat involved, but a careful analysis of the passage will help us to follow his reasoning. In the overall context of the letter, Paul was dealing with the system of worship established at Sinai. That is often what he means by the word law. The Jews had difficulty grasping the fact that this system, given to them of God, should end with the coming of the Messiah. This is what Paul was dealing with, Jewish believers still not ready to abandon what had been such an important part of their lives. In essence, Paul's illustration is as follows. A woman is married to a man. The law binds her to him as long as he lives. During his lifetime, she cannot consort with other men. But when he dies, she is free from the law that bound her to him, as it says in verse 3. Question. How does Paul apply the illustration of the law of marriage to the system of Judaism? Verses 4 and 5 explain that. Where, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For... When we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. As the death of her husband delivers the woman from the law of her husband, so the death of the old life in the flesh through Jesus Christ delivers the Jews from the law they had been expected to keep until the Messiah fulfilled its types. Now the Jews were free to remarry. They were invited to marry the risen Messiah, and thus bring forth fruit to God. This illustration was one more device Paul used to convince the Jews that they were now free to abandon the ancient system. Again, given all else that Paul and the Bible say about the obedience to the Ten Commandments, it doesn't make sense to assert here that Paul was telling these Jewish believers that the Ten Commandments were no longer binding. Those who use these texts to try to make that point, that the moral law was done away with, really don't want to make that point anyway. What they really want to say is that only the Seventh-day Sabbath is gone, not the rest of the law. To interpret Romans 7 verses 4 and 5 as teaching that the fourth commandment has been abolished or superseded or replaced with Sunday is to give them a meaning that the words were never intended to have. 
Monday, November 20. Sin and the Law If Paul is talking about the whole law system at Sinai, what about Romans chapter 7, verse 7, in which he specifically mentions one of the Ten Commandments? Let's read Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. Doesn't that refute the position taken yesterday that Paul was not talking about the abolition of the Ten Commandments? The answer is no. We must keep in mind again that the word law for Paul is the whole system introduced at Sinai, which included the moral law but wasn't limited to it. Hence, Paul could quote from it as well as from any other section of the whole Jewish economy in order to make his points. However, when the system passed away at the death of Christ, that didn't include the moral law, which had existed even before Sinai, and exists after Calvary as well. Question. Read Romans chapter 7 verses 8 through to 11. What is Paul saying here about the relationship between the law and sin? Romans 7, beginning at verse 8. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. God revealed himself to the Jews, telling them in detail what was right and wrong in moral, civil, ceremonial, and health matters. He also explained the penalties for violation of the various laws. Violation of the revealed will of God is here defined as sin. Thus, Paul explains, he would not have known if it was a sin to covet without having been informed of that fact by the law. Sin is the violation of the revealed will of God, and where the revealed will is unknown, there is no awareness of sin. When that revealed will is made known to a person, he or she comes to recognise that he or she is a sinner and is under condemnation and death. In this sense, the person dies. In Paul's line of argument here, and throughout the section, he is trying to build a bridge to lead the Jews, who revere the law, to see Christ as its fulfilment. He is showing that the law was necessary, but that its function was limited. The law was meant to show the need of salvation. It never was meant to be the means of obtaining that salvation. As Ellen White writes in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 6, page 1076, the Apostle Paul, in relating his experience, presents an important truth concerning the work to be wrought in conversion. He says... I was alive without the law once. He felt no condemnation. But when the commandment came, when the law of God was urged upon his conscience, sin revived, and I died. Then he saw himself a sinner, condemned by the divine law. Mark 
It was Paul and not the law that died. End of quote. So to finish today, in what sense have you died before the law? How, in that context, can you understand what Jesus has done for you by giving you a new life in him? Tuesday, November 21, The Law is Holy. Question. Read Romans chapter 7, verse 12. How do we understand this text in the context of what Paul has been discussing? Romans 7, verse 12. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Because the Jews revered the law, Paul exalts it in every way possible. The law is good for what it does, but it can't do what it was never meant to do, save us from sin. For that we need Jesus, because the law, whether the entire Jewish system or the moral law in particular, cannot bring salvation. Only Jesus and his righteousness, which come to us by faith, can. Question What does Paul blame for his condition of death, and what does he exonerate? Why is this distinction important? Romans chapter 7 and verse 13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. In Romans 7.13, Paul is presenting the law in the best sense possible. He chooses to blame sin, not the law, for his terrible sinful condition, that is, his working all manner of concupiscence, that is, lust, as we read in Romans chapter 7 and verse 8. The law is good, for it is God's standard of conduct, but as a sinner, Paul stands condemned before it. Question. Why was sin so successful in showing Paul up to be a terrible sinner? Romans 7 verses 14 and 15. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Carnally means fleshly. Thus, Paul needed Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ can take away the condemnation. As it says in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Only Jesus Christ could free him from slavery to sin. Paul describes himself as sold under sin. He is a slave to sin. He has no freedom. He can't do what he wants to do. He tries to do what the good law tells him to do, but sin won't let him. By this illustration, Paul was trying to show the Jews their need of the Messiah. 
He had pointed out already that victory is possible only under grace, as it said in Romans 6 verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. This same thought is re-emphasized in Romans chapter 7 verse 6. Living under the law means enslavement to sin, a merciless master. And so to finish today, what has been your own experience with how sin enslaves? Have you ever tried to play with sin, thinking you could control it as you wished, only to find yourself under a vicious and merciless taskmaster? Welcome to reality. Why then must you surrender to Jesus and die to self daily? Wednesday, November 22, The Man of Romans chapter 7 Romans chapter 7, verses 16 and 17 reads, If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. What struggle is presented here? Using the law as a mirror, the Holy Spirit convicts a person that he or she is displeasing God by not fulfilling the requirements of the law. Through efforts to meet those requirements, the sinner shows that he or she agrees that the law is good. Question. What points that Paul already has made did he repeat for emphasis? Romans 7 verses 18 through to 20. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. To impress upon a person his or her need of Christ, the Holy Spirit often leads the person through an old covenant type of experience. Ellen White describes Israel's experience as follows in Patriarchs and Prophets, pages 371 and 372. The people did not realize the sinfulness of their hearts and that without Christ it was impossible for them to keep God's law, and they readily entered into covenant with God. Feeling that they were able to establish their own righteousness, they declared, All that the Lord hath said we will do, and be obedient. Exodus 24 verse 7 Only a few weeks passed before they broke their covenant with God and bowed down to worship a graven image. They could not hope for the favour of God through a covenant which they had broken, and now, seeing their sinfulness and their need of pardon, they were brought to feel their need of the Saviour revealed in the Abrahamic covenant. End of quote. Unfortunately, by failing to renew their dedication to Christ daily, many Christians are, in effect, serving sin, however loath they may be to admit it. They rationalize that 
in reality they are undergoing the normal experience of sanctification and that they simply still have a long way to go. Thus, instead of taking known sins to Christ and asking him for victory over them, they hide behind Romans chapter 7, which tells them, they think, that it is impossible to do right. In reality, this chapter is saying that it is impossible to do right when a person is enslaved to sin, but victory is possible in Jesus Christ. And so to finish the day, are you having the victories over self and sin that Christ promises us? If not, why not? What wrong choices are you, and you alone, making? Thursday, November 23, Saved from Death Question. Read Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. How have you experienced this same struggle in your own life, even as a Christian? Romans 7, beginning at verse 21. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law in my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. In this passage, Paul equates the law in his members, his body, with the law of sin. With the flesh, Paul says, he served the law of sin, in verse 25. But serving sin and obeying its law means death. As we read in Romans 7, verse 10, And the commandments, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. And verse 11, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. And verse 13, Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Hence, his body, as it functioned in obedience to sin, fittingly could be described as the body of this death. The law of the mind is God's law, God's revelation of his will. Under conviction of the Holy Spirit, Paul consented to this law. His mind resolved to keep it, but when he tried, he couldn't, because his body wanted to sin. Who hasn't felt the same struggle? In your mind, you know what you want to do, but your flesh clamours for something else. Question. How can we be rescued from this difficult situation in which we find ourselves? The answer is in Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. O wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Some have wondered why... After reaching the glorious climax in the expression, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, 
Paul should refer once more to the struggles of the soul from which he apparently has been delivered. Some understand the expression of thanksgiving as a parenthetical exclamation. They believe that such an exclamation follows naturally the cry, Who shall deliver? They hold that, before proceeding with the extended discussion of the glorious deliverance in Romans chapter 8, which we'll study later, Paul summarizes what he has said in the preceding verses and confesses once again to the conflict against the forces of sin. Others suggest that by I myself, Paul means left to myself, leaving Christ out of the picture. However Romans 7 verses 24 and 25 are understood, one point should remain clear. Left to ourselves, without Christ, we are helpless against sin. With Christ we have a new life in Him, one in which, although self will constantly arise, the promises of victory are ours if we choose to claim them. Just as no one can breathe for you, or cough for you, or sneeze for you, no one can choose to surrender to Christ for you. You alone can make that choice. There's no other way to attain for yourself the victories that are promised in Jesus. Friday, November 24. From the book Selected Messages by Ellen White, Book 1, page 213, There is no safety nor repose nor justification in transgression of the law. Man cannot hope to stand innocent before God and at peace with Him through the merits of Christ while he continues in sin. And from the same writer, from the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 6, page 1095, Paul desires his brethren to see that the great glory of a sin-pardoning Saviour gave confidence to the entire Jewish economy. He desired them to see also that when Christ came to the world and died as man's sacrifice, type met antitype. After Christ died on the cross as a sin offering, the ceremonial law could have no force. Yet it was connected with the moral law and was glorious. The whole bore the stamp of divinity and expressed the holiness, justice and righteousness of God. And if the ministration of the dispensation to be done away was glorious, how much more must the reality be glorious when Christ was revealed, giving his life-giving sanctifying spirit to all who believe? End of quote. And that brings us to our discussion question today. It begins with a quote from Martin Luther's commentary on Romans, page 114 to 115. In Romans chapter 7, verse 25, the Apostle writes, With the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. This is the clearest passage of all. And from it we learn that one and the same believing person serves at the same time the law of God and the law of sin. 
he is at the same time justified and yet a sinner, simul justus est et peccat, in Latin. For he does not say, my mind serves the law of God, nor does he say, my flesh serves the law of sin, but he says, I myself, that is, the whole man, one and the same person, is in his twofold servitude. For this reason, he thanks God that he serves the law of God, and he pleads for mercy for serving the law of sin. But no one can say of a carnal, unconverted person that he serves the law of God. The Apostle means to say, you see, it is just so as I said before. The saints, believers, are at the same time sinners while they are righteous. They are righteous because they believe in Christ, whose righteousness covers them and is imputed to them. But they are sinners, inasmuch as they do not fulfil the law, and still have sinful lusts. They are like sick people who are being treated by a physician. They are really sick, but hope and are beginning to get or be made well. They are about to regain their health. Such patients would suffer the greatest harm by arrogantly claiming to be well, for they would suffer a relapse that is worse than their first illness. End of quote. And here is the question. Can we agree with what Luther wrote here or not? In class, give reasons for your answers. Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled, Find the Book. Gahida was born into a Muslim family, in a country of the former USSR. For decades she followed the religion of her family. One day, as she was praying, Gahida saw an angel who told her to, Find the book. Find the book. Gahida wondered what the book was. Five years later, she received an answer. A Seventh-day Adventist evangelist came to her city, and Gahida decided to attend the meetings. There she saw a Bible for the first time, and was able to buy one. When I began reading the Bible, I realized that this was the book that the angel told me to find, recalls Gahida. She soon found many parallels between her Bible and the Koran. Although she enjoyed the meetings, Gahida didn't immediately become an Adventist. She was afraid that God would punish her. The evangelist, however, was praying for her, and Gahida decided to visit the church just once. She says, The sermon was about the Samaritan woman in John 4. I knew it was me. I was like some Samaritan woman searching for something better. When I fell in love with Jesus, I understood that He is the best. I don't need anything but Christ. Gahida was baptised and, after a while, wanted to find a way to share her new faith with those who were still in her former religious community. She decided to write a book about her own spiritual journey and compare some elements of her previous faith with Bible teachings. 
She prayed much about publishing the book and received enough donations to print 1,500 copies. Unafraid, she hand-delivered her books to hundreds of religious leaders of her previous faith. You need to think about what you believe in, and I think you'll find this book helpful, she said. Kahida also translated several books by Ellen White into her native language, but one book, Patriarchs and Prophets, almost wasn't published. When the Central Press, she says, received my translation files, it was a time of great political unrest. Someone tried to kill the country's president, and immediately all publishing houses were closed. Government agents checked every publishing house, looking for controversial material. When the agents came to the Central Press, the chief editor wasn't able to switch on one of the computers. It was the only computer that had the translated files for patriarchs and prophets. After the government agents left, the computer easily turned on and they were able to print the book. It would have been very expensive to publish, she recalled, but we didn't have to pay anything. The chief editor told me, This is a great work that you're doing. We can't take any money from you. Kahida is thankful for the special ministry that God has given her. She says, Many are very grateful to receive these materials. And, through her writings, Ellen White has become my best friend. And, as you've probably guessed, Kahida is not her real name. Well, that's the end for this week, and I trust that wherever you are, whether you're in an island in the middle of the Atlantic, an island in the middle of the Pacific, whether you're in North America or South America, whether you're in Asia, whether you're in Africa or Europe, may God bless you. And as you read these lessons with your ears, may you understand more about the great love that God has for each one of us. I would just love to know where you are listening But maybe one day we'll be able to find out. This lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.